Welcome to ASAR Training and Response Podcast. This is episode 22, where we talk about a recent interagency agreement to provide support to Maui Humane after the fires. Welcome back, everybody, to the ASAR Training and Response Podcast. It's uh, one of, uh, I think we're on number three in this series for the fall as we start to look at the different topics. And with me, as always, is co-host Carla Lewis. How are you doing today? I'm doing great and looking forward to our podcast today. As many of our listeners may know, Eric has been assisting Maui Humane Society through the Bissell Pet Foundation's Animal Incident Management Disaster Team. Part of that assistance was meeting a request from Maui Humane for trained animal control officers to come help that Maui Humane field response team. As someone who's been an animal control officer for 13 years, I really love to see our community of animal control officers come together to assist an agency in need. What we're going to talk about today is how the cooperation between AIM, the National Animal Care and Control Association, and how multiple state animal control associations worked to bring ACOs from the mainland to assist in Maui. Yeah, I'm excited to introduce our guest speakers today. We've got a couple. Uh, the first is Executive Director for the National Animal Care and Control Association, NACA. Of course, as you guys know, as you listen to our podcast, there's acronyms all across the board, and you're going to get some interesting ones today. So Jerk is with us to represent the National piece of this. And then we've got Christy Boucher with us from Bothell, Washington. Christy serves as the first vice president for the Washington Animal Control Association. And then Carla, of course, your role with CACA. Tell people what CACA is first. Yeah, CACA is the Kansas Animal Control Association. So it's our state association. I think most of the state associations are really involved with uh, coordinating training and um, just help for their state, for the animal control officers. Um, I And we also always go back to NACA as our national guide for training and guidance. And um, and now, Jerrica can tell us about that as she introduces herself, but they have some disaster response capabilities as well. Yeah. And before we throw it over to Jerrica, for our listeners, don't get wrapped up in the term animal control officer today. We really are trying to make this a broad representation for animal services professionals in the industry, whether your title is animal control officer, animal services officer, community service officer, whether you are code enforcement and do animal services, whether you're under health and human services, it doesn't matter. We're all together providing some service to our community related to animal services. So we're going to say animal control a lot. But please don't feel like that we're isolating it to just ACOs. So, Jerrica, let's throw it over to you. Um, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about NACA. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So, my name is Jerrica Owen, and I'm the executive director of the National Animal Care and Control Association. So, uh, for anybody maybe not familiar with NACA, we uh, have a 45-year history of being a membership association that is really dedicated to um, animal, you know, animal care and control professionals. So, whether to Eric's point, whether you're a field services officer, a code enforcement officer, um, humane law enforcement, right? We've seen just a million titles. Um, we know that each of you provide a wide array of services to your communities, right? Including 
including everything from uh, rescuing pets and saving pets in danger, protecting human health and safety, uh, enforcing your laws and ordinances, um, and you know everything from there to, to disaster response, which I'm excited to be here today uh, to talk to you all about. And uh, yeah, NACA's, uh, you know, our strength lies within our membership, and I'm excited to kind of share how that really came about to help support um, with the Maui fires. A little bit about me. I have about 20 years in in animal sheltering and field services. Uh, I have deployed uh, myself to a couple of hurricanes as well as I live in Southern California and we are no stranger to wildfires. Uh, So quickly setting up, you know, equine evacuation centers, uh, co-located or cohabitated shelters with the Red Cross uh, to help with, you know, some of the smaller domestic pets. So uh, lots of experience uh, with disaster response, both hurricanes um, and fires primarily. So uh, excited to be here with you all today. Yeah, Jerrica, you know, I, I give big, pro- big props to Jerrica. Her ability to network and reach out to so many different organizations to talk about the NACA story and the importance of a, a national membership group that can be that hub of communication and work to support the state animal control associations um, through education, through communication, through representation. Uh, at conferences is really amazing. So we're always happy to partner with NAC and, and promote the, their mission as they work to support the state animal control associations, which takes me over to Christy Boucher. Christy, introduce yourself and, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Christy Boucher. I am the sole animal control officer for the city of Bothell Police Department. We serve about 50,000 residents here in Bothell. Um, I have been working with animals for 24 years, Um, started at uh, Petco in 1999 when I was 16, so I just showed my age. Um, I've been the animal control officer with Bothell um, since May 1st, 2017, so just just past six years, um, and I'm going to retire doing this. I found my passion, and this is what I love to do. Um, I am also the first vice president on the Washington Animal Control Association Board of Directors, Um, I've served on the board for about five years now. Uh, We put on the State Animal Control Academy uh, once a year, usually in March. It's a two-week course, so I help um, run that along with our president, Tim Anderson, as well as instruct a few courses during that academy. Um, This year, we've also been trying to focus on some extra training um, for those ACOs that went through the academy 10, 15 years ago and, and haven't had any ongoing education. So that's a new focus of ours, and we've been working with Jerrica um, through email and communication the past year or two on that as well. Um, and this response to Maui was my first uh, disaster response and um, certainly will not be my last. So I thank ASAR and AIM for helping NACA bring this opportunity to me because I, I just really enjoyed helping over there. Yeah, once you get the disaster bug, yeah. it's hard to get rid of it. <laughs> Yep. Uh, as soon as Agreed. my plane landed in SeaTac, I was itching to go back and texted Eric immediately. So, <laughs> yeah. So let's jump into to the Maui response. We're we're gonna, you know, again focus on the need for the ACOs. So we're gonna kind of speed through that that response phase. Uh, and I think it's important to know that the basis of how this response uh, for support for and, and on Maui, the ACOs are under the Humane Enforcement Officers. I call them HEOs because, of course, I have to, you know, short my acronyms up. 
So uh, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, there are two ways to request resources during a disaster. One is through your government agency, uh, which is commonly through the EMAC system or the Emergency Management Assistance Compact, um, which we're creating a formal government agreement to put out through state messaging, and it filters in through the government channels to agencies for resources. A lot of times we see that for logistics, firefighters, and we've used it for animal control officers in the past. The other route of communication is through the non-governmental organization or the NGOs, and that's an agency-to-agency request. So the difference between the two is some agencies uh, on the government side, whether it's a police department, whether it's a city, whether it's a county, requires some sort of official interlocal agreement or EMAC request to be able to send those resources. And what they're looking for is, hey, do we have some insurance here? Do we have some compensation here? Um, And having that authority to be there versus the agency to agency request is, it's an agency that says, yes, we understand we're sending our people and our resources. Um, We're gonna work with you directly as an agency to see what care is provided, what equipment's provided. Um, and we're just going to, you know, help because we feel like that's the right thing to do. And we're not going to worry about it being an official uh, EMAC request. Both are correct. Both are used in every disaster. And this is where working with NGOs like NACA, like state associations, because we really do want to preserve that agency having jurisdiction request. So it doesn't appear that anybody is self-deploying and try to just come in and work outside the system. So that's what we're talking about today. With the challenges and everything that was going on in Maui is the choice by Maui Humane Society working with animal incident management at the time as a liaison for resources was to, we're gonna do an agency agency request and see what kind of feedback we get. If we get adequate feedback, we're gonna run with that because it's a much faster method most times to bring resources in. If we weren't going to get good agency to agency response, then we would go work through the EMAC system and bring resources, whatever we could through EMAC. So as liaison officer, I reach out to some of my contacts, which were on the original deployment. They were tied up and couldn't come anymore. Next logical way to go was then, since AIM has a partnership with NACA as part of the National Animal Rescue and Sheltering Coalition, and we've worked on other projects together, um, I reached out to Jerrica and I said, Jerrica, let's do a focused request starting from Colorado West because we wanted to minimize our travel costs for these agencies. And let's put out a need for, we need ACOs till the end of October. We're going to build two-person teams And this is, you're going to work directly through Maui Humane Society to make this happen. So, Jerrica, pick it up from there. How do you work with your members and how do you really decide how that regional approach and and talk about the capabilities? Because you had warned me. I said, just have people contact me. She said, you really want to do that, Eric? Because you could have over 300 people emailing you says, I want to go to Maui. But talk a little bit about your response and, and how you handle these agency to agency requests through NACA. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did warn you, I will say. <laughs> um, I mentioned before that our strength really lies within our membership. So we are not uh, a responding agency. So, right. So we don't send responders underneath the NACA umbrella. Um, I know we have in the past, uh, many, many years ago, it is just not um, what our current infrastructure supports. So by utilizing our strength uh, within our membership and, you know, we as a national organization, um, it is very, it, it almost doesn't make sense for us to operate without having super strong relationships with the state associations. Um, and so, you know, as it, it, it is very helpful um, in making sure that those relationships are strong and that we are supporting the state associations because they are the ones who are closest to the work. They are the ones who are, you know, um, working on and supporting the officers directly in their states. Uh, so for us to really be effective at the national organization, it is vital that we, you know, put as much uh, emphasis on these on these relationships. And I think because we have done that, uh, I reached out to, uh, we started with the state associations and we reached out to Arizona, California, uh, Washington, um, like Eric said, everything from Colorado West, um, you know, not really knowing what we what we would expect. But Again, knowing that we've worked so hard to build these relationships and, and that we have such amazing, you know, uh, officers within each of those states that I was really not surprised that we had a fantastic, uh, fantastic turnout uh, right away. I mean, what, Eric, like within two hours, I think you said, oh, my goodness, I think we're full. Um, and we were building out, you know, all the way through the month, if not further. Um, and from states that from Arizona, right? We had a handful of people from Arizona jump right in. Um, I can't say from my experience that I've, uh, we have, I've seen that from, from like some, some of the agencies in Arizona. Um, I don't know if they've just not had the, had the opportunity, but as soon as the opportunity presented itself, they jumped on it. Um, and then again, Washington, I know we've had some California as well. So, um, and Oregon as well. So I, it's just, you know, it was, it was amazing to see this and, um, so that's kind of how that happened. We just said, you know, we I, I literally emailed a handful um, of contacts and and are you able to support? Can you send this out through your uh, through your membership contacts? Um, and yeah, within two hours we were full, and it is all thanks to these amazing uh, animal care and control state associations and the relationships in which we have built uh, to be able to open those networks and open those pathways for communication to flow uh, to be able to really support and uh, help when help is needed like it was in Maui. Yeah, Jerrica. So let's, let's jump ahead. So that request goes out and I'm starting to get feedback. And Christy, you were one of the first emails I got back that said you were interested in going, what needs to come next? So talk about, you know, this is your first deployment experience. Uh, talk about the expectations you may have had or the process you had with your agency. Absolutely. So uh, I came in for work at 8 a.m. on Tuesday, September 12th to a awesome email from NACA um, requesting assistance from Maui. Uh, went to my supervisor and immediately was like, yes, let's do it. Um, but then we started kind of asking questions. How does this work? Where am I staying? How do I get there? Um, so I reached out to you, Eric, and asked some questions about that and um, was told to, to book a flight and that we would get it reimbursed and um, an Airbnb was going to be set up uh, through the Humane Society and all taken care of. Um, and then over the next 48 hours, I kind of just bounced it around with my sergeant, my captain, my chief. Um, and at the end of the, the 48 hour period, it turned out I could go. 
but the city was not able to um, approve me to go uh, with pay. So I opted to use 48 or 40 hours of my vacation time um, and asked Eric if he would still have me in my, my civvies if I couldn't come in my uniform. And uh, he ended up overnighting me some ASAR and AIM shirts, um, which did not come overnight. That took three days, unfortunately. Um, however, Tanya at the, the Maui Humane Society provided me with some Maui Humane Enforcement Officer shirts and their animal control truck. And I was just part of their ohana from day one on the ground, which was awesome. First, you know, again, I, I talk about when, when yeah, kids, when I was a young ACO back in the day, um, that's exactly how my agency worked was, yeah, Eric, you could go to a disaster, but you have to take your, your vacation time and your PTO to go. So that's what I did for years. I saved my vacation time. And when disasters came up, I deployed with Code 3 or with other agencies um, to get my feet wet in the disaster world and, and eventually grow into, you know, the roles that we have now. Carla, you know, we love Leewood PD for everything that they support you with. You have, uh, you know, supervisors that, that work with you. How does it work over for your agency? Yeah, we had some conversations really early on when I got involved with ASAR and my department has opted to pay my salary, my base salary when I deploy. Uh, does not include overtime, doesn't include any travel expenses, but they are very generous and that they fully support me and will pay my salary. And also, you know, like workman's comp, my, my, you know, like insurance is covered as well. You know, I think that's one of the really important things as state associations, we can start getting those conversations going ahead of time and create some documents that can maybe assist other agencies as they do this. Cause I think, you know, it's such a new thing. A lot of agencies don't even realize this is something that animal control officers can do. You know, we're uniquely trained for some of these situations and, to have those um, agreements and all of those little nuances worked out before the disaster is going to just help um, move that process along and hopefully get our officers um, under that similar role where they're paid their regular salary to be able to deploy. Uh, but I know a lot of our a lot of our people also use their use their vacation time, and it just shows how passionate um, animal service people are, and that they just want to get out there and help. Yeah, and every disaster is going to be a little bit different on what's offered and what's needed. Maui Humane had the ability to um, provide housing, provide a rental car. Um, they just couldn't pay people, and they were asking ACOs to come in teams of two for a week. Um, they rented an Airbnb and, and tried to take care of folks as they continue to come in, and it's still an ongoing process today as we're well into October. Um, and, and here's where we're going with this, and this is a big teaser for upcoming training. Um, Jerica, if I don't know if you were able to give an update, I know you're developing through NACA kind of an intro awareness level disaster. Hey, here's maybe uh, what ACO should be starting to prepare for. Here's how it applies to your community. And then we'll continue to develop through workshops, um, you know, advanced conversations on really what does it look like to use the EMAC system for your agency? What does it look like for detail? But how are you doing over on NACA with uh, intro to disaster work? Yeah, great question. So um, one of the things that we created, I think about two years ago, was a, um, a kind of a disaster portal, a disaster hub, if you will, uh, resources uh, available on the website. And it is, it's got a variety of 
of things, right? We have a, a landing page for how to get involved, and we're linking to other um, NARSC partners, uh, those that are deployed, you know, deployable partners uh, for people who maybe want to deploy under the ASPCA or under AIM or under, um, you know, all the all the different opportunities. We also have uh, links to various different trainings, so the FEMA trainings uh, or some of the other trainings and and eventually soon, the one that Eric was talking about, uh, workshops and stuff, will, you know, just add a variety of opportunities there. Um, and so it's really just a resource and a hub for people to to be able to access, to kind of learn more and, and how to get involved and, and where to go for resources. Um, and then, as Eric mentioned, we do have our national ACO certification. We've got a level one, a level two, uh, soon to be a level three as well. But uh, within the level two, we are adding an intro to disaster uh, module. And this this is because, like we mentioned and what we've been talking about, is this is not slowing down anytime soon. And ACOs are have the training. This is what they do kind of on the daily basis, not that they're in the disaster zone, uh, but they right handle animals and and they they are under these stressful situations and are extremely well equipped to transfer all of those skills into the disaster response efforts. And so we'll be adding that in. We should be able to probably have that launched by early 2024. Uh, we'll be re-releasing -re ACO2 altogether. We're adding a handful of different modules and disaster is one of them uh, that's going in. And a uh, huge thanks to Eric for offering his uh, guidance as well uh, as we have worked to create that. And it is, it's intro, it's, it's intro level, it's basic. Uh, here's all the things you need to know. And uh, we're looking forward to releasing that. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, Christy and I have talked about that for uh, the Washington Animal Control Academy is possibly adding a, a piece in for, for their region um, where I can come up and we can jump into, okay, a, a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of how does it work in your region? Because it's going to work a little bit different everywhere across the country. And, and I'll be making the conference circuit a little bit in 2024 um, to, again, try to really bring operational coordination for field service officers um to to the light and and so we can tell the story christy we're gonna jump ahead to you and in this last five minutes uh before we start wrapping up we don't need to know the details of everywhere you ate and how good the food was um but do tell us the importance of of this resource of being an aco uh that could come in support the heos over in maui talk about how critical that mission was once you were on the ground yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, getting there, like I said, they they were so thankful. Everybody from the staff at Maui Humane Society, the ACOs, the vet team, people at the front counter. I mean, just they were so thankful to have any help be there. Um, being out in Lahaina in the burn zone um, five days in a row, um, you know, I was out there eight, eight to 10 hours a day. Um, removed over 50 deceased animals. And the only other people in the burn zone with me and my, my partner from Colorado were FEMA and the EPA. Um, they had road closures uh, into the burn zone with full military vehicles, you know, people in military outfits, you know, barricades. Um, the last day they started checking ID. Um, so we got a, a little bit of a, a stumble to get in there. Um, because I, I did not have an ID for Maui Humane Society, but driving their truck. And like you mentioned at the beginning, um, having officers go in that aren't just people showing up pretending, right? And so that became a concern um, towards the, the last day of my week. Um, 
but being in in those neighborhoods and standing in that yard that is now just ash uh, the epa and fema people were also so very thankful a lot of them were deployed um, from the mainland like myself and then there were also people that were maui citizens and there was one incident i, I recall standing in this house um, that wasn't a house and um, this guy was helping the EPA and uh, I asked him if he had lost any family in the fires and he points, that's my auntie's house, that's my uncle's house, that's my cousin's house. And um, it just hit really hard and he, he hugged me and thanked me for being there. And so many of the, the FEMA and the EPA people, whether local or not, were telling us every day, and we hear this as animal control officers on a daily basis, you know, here in Bothell, Washington, but out there, we heard every day, I could never do your job and thank you for being here. Um, while I'm standing there looking at this EPA person in full PPE respirator, it's 90 degrees, dripping sweat. And I'm going, I couldn't do your job. <laughs> you know, we, we would put on gloves and, and a N95, walk over, you know, pick up the, the deceased animal, take a photo, walk off the property. We're only there for a couple of minutes, but just peeling your latex glove off, the amount of sweat that came dripping off your hand, it was just, it was brutal. Um, but it was, it was very clear to me that we did have a very important role. Um, the week I was there, September um, 17th through the 21st, we were not able to remove live animals from the burn zone as the Humane Society was at capacity. Um, but there were over 70 feeding stations set up that we were helping bring cat food from the Humane Society to the cat rescue group so that they could feed and water the animals that were still in there. And they had counted over 500 live cats still there the week I was there that we were just feeding and watering until they had a space, um, which I, I believe now they, they are removing them. And man, I'd love to go back and help do that, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, and, and up to date, you know, again, we're in the middle of October now, and they've, uh, the last numbers from Maui Humane Society is they've pulled over 650 animals out of the burn zone uh, since the fire. And, you know, again, the first messaging that was brought out to us was nothing survived. And in fact, you know, 650 animals plus there's still more um, really uh, tells a story that we, we never discounted animals and where they'll hide and, and what they'll survive in. And we see that time and time again. So yeah, the, the, the continued support for the field uh, not only helps the agency, it helps the community to see people in there, to know that they're trying their hardest to, to you know, get these animals to a safer place, uh, to provide that care, uh, because the, the future of Lahaina is to get it cleaned up and, and rebuild again. So being part of that process to prepare for that cleanup uh, is a big deal for the animal piece. Carla, um, as we start to wrap up, final thoughts from you, uh, either from the Kansas Animal Control Association or from the officer viewpoint. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you to Christy for going and doing that. And as a disaster responder myself, I know the um, emotional impact it can make and just the sacrifices that you make at home. And I think in a future podcast, we're going to talk about compassion fatigue and how all of this affects us and how we, we how we support our responders um, after going to an event like this, especially when it's your first time. So, you know, my first thought is just, you know, thank you so much, Christy, for taking your personal time to go and help those people and animals 
And, you know, we always talk about how, you know, we go there for the animals, we love animals, but it's really that human um, animal relationship that affects us the most. You know, the things that have affected me the most on deployments are meeting the people who have been involved. Um, and, you know, we just want to support all of our responders after they they go to an event and after they respond and just make sure that, you know, they're doing well. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those things we are just super passionate about. And we uh, we just appreciate everyone that takes their time um, from an animal control association perspective. I love that this happened. I'm super excited about what that means for the future and just that we're going to keep that ball rolling. I know with the Kansas Animal Control Association, we're working with um, the state on developing um, animal working groups to better develop um, cohesive response during a disaster and also to support our animal control officers so that when a request like this comes through, those the paperwork, the mechanisms are in place beforehand so that we're not scrambling around trying to figure out how this works so that we already have some of those things in place. So it's just like, oh yeah, we have the paperwork for this. We know how this is going to work. And obviously each response is different, but hopefully we can just continue that um, that process and make it smoother for all of our animal control officers as they're faced with these decisions on whether they can deploy or not. Yeah, well said. Uh, and I agree hundred percent. Christy coming to you for final thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I just want people to know how hard the, the staff at Maui Humane Society are, are working and trying. Um, a lot of them have had to get off social media um, you can't do everything right and please everybody and the trolls are coming after them. And so just send your love to, to the people in Maui. Uh, shout out to Tanya, Tammy and Dispatch, Denise, Moani, Uda. They're all amazing. Um, I was literally texting with Tammy last night. So I am thankful for my new Ohana of Maui because they are, they are still talking to me weeks later. <laughs> it's amazing. And I, I will echo Carla's appreciation for all your your hard work and support and i'm so glad that those friendships have have started and that relationship continues for you jerica final thoughts for you and naca yeah i will also echo eric and carla with a huge thank you christy that um listening to your story sort of brought me a little nostalgia from some of my stories in the past and um I, you know i still have facebook friends that are we responded together right we were crawling at our houses uh after hurricane ike together to you know to get dogs and you you have those experiences with those people um and you don't it, keeping those those relationships is just something that's amazing and uh so thank you for everything that you did I just want to thank you all for being here. I think that we are onto something, you know, like we mentioned, animal control officers have the training, they have the skills um, and being able to really connect those resources with uh, those that need the resources and working together, um, whether you're at the national, state or local level, I think that we uh, as an industry you know, we'll continue to push forward and continue to align our resources to be able to get stronger, uh, stronger in multiple different ways, right? Making sure that we have those resources to the right places, making sure that we have the training necessary uh, and making sure that we have the infrastructure and at every level, again, the federal, the state, the local, um, and just doing the best that we can to make sure uh, that we're providing, you know, everything that we can. Um, so I want to thank you for having me here today and I look forward to the future. Thank you everyone for joining us today. If you have not checked out our Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube channels, please do that. And of course, keep following us on this podcast. Thank you.